Greetings, standard nerds. This is Tom Catamonte of Third Rail Design Lab. And Christopher McClanahan of DeeplyDapper.com. And it's time to... Release the... Kraken! This week on Robot Kraken, we appease the beast with a review of the much maligned Fantastic Four from 2015. You had no trouble with the word malign, did you? I did I not. I expected you to say malignant. Malignant. It's, it's malignant, possibly, but... <laughs> I see. Don't give away your opinion on this movie yet. Spoilers. Spoilers! So, do you want to get to the main event? Yeah, what are, we, what, what are we talking about here? All right, so... Review time. Review. We want to talk about the. Op- this time we're going to talk about the opus that is Josh Trank's highly acclaimed Fantastic Four from 2015. Don't you mean Josh Tank? No. Josh Tank. <laughs> Josh Trank. Okay, so talk about a movie that suffered from bad press and nerd reaction and a lot of sight unseen criticism and racism and various other things leading up to it where it almost seemed doomed before it even started. Right. And then on top of that, some people would have a lot of problems with what actually happened. So it's be an interesting uh, little micro view, I think, because we may not be aligned on how we saw that film. (laughs) Okay. So this is definitely one of those movies that, like you said, it came out with a tremendous amount of negative feedback before anyone had ever seen anything but the casting on it because some of their casting was like weirdly silly and creative and interesting and sometimes all at the same time on it right and then while this was in production the rumor swirled that Trank was losing his mind on set and yelling and freaking out locking himself in his room and all this and then they ultimately took it away from him, I think, right? Wasn't that confirmed? Yeah, I believe that is yeah. correct, yeah. Yeah, at the end, they took it away from him and, and finished finished principal photography and edited it without him. And then on the heels of that, it hasn't even come out yet. And and you're still thinking that Fox or whoever it is, Fox is going to make another perfect storm here. Um, <laughs> that Fox is hoping to salvage their investment some. And granted, this is one of those projects where they just want to keep the, uh, the copyright, right? So they right. have to put something out. But, but. Right in the heels of that, he gets canned from the Star Wars film, very likely due to yeah. how badly he screwed this up. I don't know if I feel bad about that. I don't either. After but watching I just, this. You know, again, he... Okay, so Trank. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his film, Chronicle, you, know, you hear all how great it was, and I took a long time to, to actually watch it, and I really enjoyed the hell out of it. It was good. It's... It... For what it was, I think it was excellently done. Right, right. As an indie film, it was pretty Yeah, beautiful. for an right. indie film that was shot primarily first-person, shaky cam, that kind of thing. And, I, yeah, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to. Well, and like Blair Witch that has similar production approach mm-hmm. and like uh, even Usual Suspects, which right. similarly came out of nowhere with a, with a script – and a director that were both unexpected, right? Right. Um, just like those, the follow-up material didn't live up to the promise 
of those debuts. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know where whether that's fair or not fair, but ultimately whether there's a hype or what, you can expect a I mean these films are commodities, right? Right. You, you can expect that if even if it's bland and even if it's not um doesn't surprise or challenge you and it's junk food of mm-hmm. you know it's Transformers, right? Michael right. Bay. Bottom line is they have a job to tell a linear story that goes from A to Z and sells toys or whatever, right? Right. And I think a very valid criticism on this movie is that there is no A to Z on this movie. No, not at um, all. It feels to me while you watch it that the it went off the rails and you can't tell whether you can't tell whether it went off the rails and then they attempted to course correct it and it's this really awkward mishmash that you could tell that they 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 painted over it at the end. Right. Or whether the the going off the rails feeling is the interference because you know Trank insists that his vision for this and that his original cut for it was a lot more cohesive mm-hmm. and it really makes me want to see that I'd love to see I the, his don't version. know how they could because realistically <laughs> there was no conflict in this movie outside of a little bit of governmental interference and then this ludicrous take on Doctor Doom that is the least Doctor Doom, Doctor Doom ever which is saying something you know this goes back in a way it kind of goes back to my defense of Lex Luthor and BVS and I said (laughs) you guys, you know everyone, I got mocked on the street honestly Right. (laughs) it's actually happened, you know you've made it but uh, you know I said he he made an interesting character in an interesting performance it just wasn't, you know, had it not been named Luthor, we wouldn't be talking about it the right. same way. And I feel that way about this Doom. If he had not been called Doom... <laughs> he he was barely in it, though. Like, it's true. He showed up as this snarky guy who was a little, like, rapey-eyed towards the Invisible Girl. Yeah. And then he gets stuck back behind on... A, uh, spoilers here for yeah, this right. discussion for a movie that came out a year or two ago. And if you haven't watched it yet, you probably have no impetus to. Um, and then, like, the ending part. I, like, legitimately... As the show was ending, I'm like, wait, what? That's yeah, it that's just, it? it that's ended. the it ending? I And it bothered me because the opening part of the film particularly like him as a kid and then him as a college kid yeah. and his friendship with Ben really good. It was really good. I was really happy fact, with that. Okay. And so I want to get to that. There's a lot of positives to me in this film. Yeah. And this is one of those ones where I think that my, my wanting to root for the underdog and my interest in the things I liked helps me whitewash, so to speak, the things that I didn't. Mm-hmm. And I do think that the ending just dropping off a cliff. Right. Actually, almost literally dropping off a cliff. Right. I feel like that was um, the studio saying, whoop, whoop, wrap it up. Like there's no, <laughs> yeah. they didn't like where he was going and they just pulled the, pulled the rug and said, just end it. Right. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's true, but it had the feeling of watching of, you know, if you weren't warned and you watch a first season show that Fox cancels. Right. 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 Damn it. So if this guy wasn't doomed mm-hmm. and if you look at it, if you, if you pull it back and, and even if you take the fantastic four veneer off, and it's the story of four astronauts who go to a different dimension or whatever, an astronaut, right. dimension knots or whatever. And they go to a different dimension and it's not what they were told it was going to be. And mm-hmm. it, everything goes wrong and they haul ass back and one of them doesn't make it. And then when they go back to rescue him, he's infected and crazy and If powerful. he'd been crazier, that would be one thing. I, I agree. So but what I'm saying is that if you were to – if you boil it – 
right? And you mm-hmm. get to that core, this is something that has a lot of nods to Akira and it has a lot yeah. of nods to uh, you know, 2001, mm-hmm. 2010. It has a lot of nods to you know, various story dimensional rift stories. It could have been very simple this version of Doom. Mm-hmm. Take away the Doom part. This guy, the fifth crew member of this right. team having been infected and becoming a, a hive mind and whatever and going to, going on the attack would have been a perfectly reasonable uh, third act plot for this movie mm-hmm. and re- and challenge for them. This is their friend. Can mm-hmm. they save him? This The histrionics we see in all of these stories with supers where they're like, well, there's a real person inside there, you know. Right. Don't kill the van. Don't, you know, they're a mutation and they're crazy, but if we somehow reason with the guy that's still in there, maybe... <laughs> You know, Bucky's still in there somewhere. You know, th- that conflict. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, he's killing people. That could have carried it to the end of the film. And unfortunately, they just lo- they lost. Yeah, the yeah. Well, it. and the thing is, is like everything you just described would have been a perfectly acceptable science fiction movie, but not Fantastic Four. Like, like their powers barely came into play in this movie. Like, right. there wasn't the, oh, I'm learning how to use my power scenes that are always really interesting and kind of fun. They jumped right, right from, oh, they have powers, but we're going to jump to the scene where we're using them in the military and dropping them out of tra- of planes for absolutely no reason. And one of them's on the run, and there's this weird, like, gap of time where they go and all Bruce Banner, and they, they completely spend some really reasonable, fun, interesting time showing them get their powers then they jump to them knowing how to use their powers and meh, 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 meh. and there's a rift and there's a rift yeah them and all that um okay but so all right i mean this is obviously jumping around this this mm-hmm. micro view but i liked the component of the script that ben was disenfranchised that mm-hmm. he is He's wallowing in, well, this is what they want me to be, so I'm just going to be it. Right. I'm the soul. They want me to be a machine. I'll be a machine. Um, you know, they've had hints of that in the comics over the years. But it was a very – it was an interesting and finely drawn type of self-loathing that I really appreciated. I like that. I found that plausible mm-hmm. that this guy has now become invulnerable. He came up from nothing. Mm-hmm. He was pulled out of the limits of his, his upbringing. sort of predetermined yeah. upbringing by being with Richards and – being part of all those things. And by the way, that's the only time I've ever seen a teenage science fair super, you know, super experiments that were even remotely believable. That these <laughs> right. guys had engineered something that was amazing. Yeah. You know, even though it, it took a giant jump and all of a sudden there's teleportation. I mean, you know, they sold it. They yeah. sold it like that was really happening. I bought it in that science fair. Yeah, anyway, I like that. I bought the, I bought the, the thing that we saw being a weapon mm-hmm. and being depressed or whatever was that kid from the junkyard who was like, well, I lost all of my, I lost all hope for being involved. You know, this is, this is my lot. See, and I think I would have liked the movie better had they dropped the Doom subplot entirely. Yeah. And instead spent some more time on them becoming the Fantastic Four, learning how they're doing their things, then becoming disenfranchised, maybe being taken advantage of by the government. There's a long history of that. Sure. And then breaking away from that, maybe some sort of earthly conflict that they actually had to overcome using their powers together instead of that cheesy-ass scene at the very end where they're like, he can beat each of us individually, but if we work together, <laughs> Mr. Frodo, we can defeat... <laughs> I mean, it was just rainbow. ridiculous. 
Yeah. I, I think I, it would have been a much stronger film if they had just dropped the let's go back to the dimension and find Doctor Doom nonsense and well, just had it be an origin story. Well, and this goes back to the Luthor justification from last mm-hmm. from many, many podcasts ago. It, it's astounding that they could perpetually ruin Luthor. Yeah. Because it's a archetype that is so well drawn. Right. You just do it the way it is. Not the purple armor, but just no. do do the 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 Trump, the intelligent Trump of Luther, right? right? Not, right. Trump's not a good example because that's giving him too much credit. But I mean the <laughs> the the megalomaniacal, hyper intelligent, extremely insecure, aggressive tactician yes. man. The ultimate little short guy syndrome, right? Right. You know, just I mean. Luther was so easy to do right. You just cast him right. And if they had done what they had, if the rumor had been that was Brian Cranston was going to be Luthor, mm-hmm. it would have just been Brian Cranston shaving his head <laughs> and they gave him Luthor dialogue from the comics, it would have been at Slam. I would have been right? totally okay with it that. Yeah. Do anything, right? This is the same thing with Doom. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I get that some people from the mainstream might look at the, the, the comic version that there's medieval armor with a green cloak on it and the guy has a thick accent. And, and, you know, and he's a, and he's a, uh, you know, stroke the beard villain. Right. That's a little bit on the nose. However, he's so well drawn, even in the sixties, even the original concept of him having the arguments with, with Richards in, in college and being, you know, having his competition and being frustrated and having an, being obsessed with, with Sue and, you know, there's so much. There's enough motivation for Doom to be the son of a bitch he is. Right. He's got money. He get, He's got money. He gets disfigured. Mm-hmm. He's an heir to a to an entire country. He's brilliant, and, and... just and he becomes hell bent on on further and further levels of absurdist levels of revenge. Because, but the thing that has always made Doom in the modern era so wonderful is that he's so like he's beyond joking you can't joke with him you can't mock him for the absurdity because he takes himself so seriously that you right. have to doom allows it you know like right i'm gonna save your life and i'm gonna pull you out of that dimension and i'm gonna save your mom's spirit or whatever the hell it is and i'm gonna whatever all this stuff and and you're like doom doom allows it and then i will kill you, you know like yeah, fine. It's so clear to us, for, you know, knowing that character, how easy that would have been to do. <laughs> right. Yeah, it it was. I mean, it's custom built for it. It's not like it needs any kind of special, super elaborate computer generated imagery or any of that. And he doesn't need the armor even. If you just gave him the persona and the background that he has, he's no, but it's custom all done on the built. Mantle. It's yeah. done on the mantle. Though. You can still rationalize that stuff. By having him, you know, early on, having him go back to his his family estate, right? And his parents are dead, or whatever their deal is, and he's sitting in there, this this displaced from time throne room, mm-hmm. and there's armor right there by his, you know, he's got a a throne, yeah. that he's got a laptop on, and he's just, you know, it's a modern guy in this centuries old place, and you constantly see it, and you can easily paint a picture of him being disfigured, absolutely. Powered. And, and, you know, rigging a bunch of shit to himself. Right. And then looking up at the armor and saying. Well, and there was always that one little thing where, I don't know whether it was canon or not, but the one where he really wasn't disfigured. He just had a little tiny scar. 
right. And it was just such a traumatic thing for him. Where to him, he was horribly disfigured because yeah. it just warped him so much that he wears this terrible mask and never takes it off because he has this tiny scratch over his cheek kind of thing. I always imagined that was going to happen if they unmasked Madame Mask. Yeah. And over time, Madame Mask changed so many ways that who knows. But <laughs> my impression always was that this was a person who was so unhinged that they veered into Twilight Zone territory. Right. That they think they're crazy. They think they're mutilated, but they're not even, you know, there's nothing right. you can see. It's on the inside, right? Spiders under my skin. <laughs> um, let's talk about casting a little bit. So, okay. Uh, casting. Controversial. Casting. So, I know the answer, but what did you think of Miles Teller? You know, I didn't hate him in this. I really? don't really care for Miles Teller, generally speaking. I don't even know what else I've seen him in, but I don't like him in anything. This is what led us to you watching this, was yeah. rationalizing that he did a good job. Yeah, I mean, what else What else has he been in? Has he been in anything I've actually seen, or do I just not like him in general? I'm going to. Um, I'm not, oh, I'm he was not. in the Footloose remake that I watched, but I don't remember anything That's about awkward. that movie. I didn't watch that. Why yeah. would you watch that? Yeah, I don't um, know. I'm not looking this up on IMDb. Um so yeah, I think I have... the only time I actually saw him in something was I watched the first of the Divergent movies uh... on the plane on the way somewhere. And I was like, wow, they just I don't know how they copycatted all these other things. <laughs> Divergent felt like they were trying to capture Mockingbird or whatever that right. other like one. Hunger Games, yeah. Hunger Games, which was trying to capture Battle Royale. It felt right. so derivative. My feeling of uh, uh, just... This is all we ever need to say about Divergent, I get, I guess. But my feeling about it was that it was like it took all of these young adult dystopian adventure, uh, teen teen angst adventure movies, and they ran they ran them through. It had a computer watch them. Remember mm-hmm. that thing I posted a while ago where the computer generated a script <laughs> right. based on watching movies, science fiction movies, and then it was just <laughs> and then they acted it out all serious, which amazing. is pretty amazing. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. And he and and that's what's his name does such a great job in Silicon Valley. So it was just so great. Anyway. <laughs> That's what Divergent felt like. Yeah. Some, it, like Michael Bay movies, right? Someone stuck all the stuff in and went eh, eh, in, right. on a dot matrix printer, right? And it yeah. generated this movie. Which, to be fair, is how a lot of young adult books are written. I mean, it's it's totally one of those things where they're just like, ah, this is popular right now. And if I write this, it will sell regardless of whether it's inspirational or original. Like these books, <laughs> these book deals you read about and like first time writer, pre-sold book. And you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, he was in the movie, and I didn't like him in it. And he and he was in great. He was annoying. His face bothered mm-hmm. me. I wanted to punch him. So that was well cast for that movie. <laughs> didn't do me. Didn't do me any favors. You, you weren't supposed to like him, right? And, and I didn't. Um, and then I saw him in this. So I went into this thinking I was going to hate that guy. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember hating Ian Gruffold mm-hmm. in the 2005 one. And then when they cast Teller, I was like, what? <laughs> Another person worse? I dislike. Yeah, how do you go worse, right? Right. How do you go farther from the Reed Richards that we have in our minds, right? Because <laughs> obviously it's a teen read. This is Ultimate Fantastic Four, right? Right. This is young, young FF. And, you know, but even young FF, the read was different than this, right? Yeah. Uh, but I got to tell you, on the basis of this film and then on the previews for Warren, the, the, the new one he's got, whatever it is uh, – uh, war, Gunrunners, War Dogs. War Dogs, yeah. 
So I think there might be more there there. I don't know. There might I be. I don't but know. I actually, I liked him so much more as Reed Richards than I thought I would. I was I would surprised. Take him yeah. I would take him over Griffold in a minute. Me too. In a hot minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, Honestly, I liked him better than I liked Kate Mara as Invisible Girl. The hell you say. I don't really that's like my, Kate Mara, dude. That's my dream wife or my dream I girlfriend. Know, Remember my and I, I feel bad saying it because I know how much you like her, but I just I don't know if I've ever seen her in anything I like. Either. I, I can't say because I'm no longer objective if I ever was, right? <laughs> I did I did really like her in House of Cards before I had that dream. See, I before haven't seen the, that. The she does a great job in that. And that was that was the one that made me see her differently mm-hmm. than just a generic person that didn't interest me. So I don't know. And she was just like a non-character in American Horror Story. And, you know, like she plays like the generic girlfriend in a few things. But I'm just, I don't know. I've never had much of a draw towards her. I've never really particularly cared for anyone they've cast for Susan Storm. Because she, in my head, has always been the hot mother character. Right. And I feel like they should cast somebody like Diane Lane. Or somebody that's got that that super beautiful, wonderful charisma, but is capable of being intelligent and commanding and taking these three fucking crazy Yahoo guys that she's related to in some way or another and getting them to pull their heads out of their asses and come together. She's always been that character, and they've never really portrayed that properly, in my opinion. That's interesting. I used to, at one point when we were still doing art, fantasy film fa- film castings on the forum more regularly. I was working on an FF1, and it was the older FF, like you say. I wish and- that they would just drop the origin stories for Fantastic Four and dive right into a, a story where they're established and have been there for years, and fucking Mole Man comes out, and they just uh-huh. show up in the Fantastic Car and fight him, and it's like, I don't know, Clooney is Richards, and yeah, right. I mean... Dive, dive right in. Yeah. Um, but anyway, in that in that casting, I remember this is not consistent with my mental image of Sue Storm, mm-hmm. which is very specific, and I and I can't find an actress off hand, right off the cuff, which is certainly your problem with Runaways because it takes you a year, right? <laughs> I, I mean, it's so. I mean, it's like a lot of characters. A lot. Of, it's like me trying to draw Superman. Right. right. I can't. I try so many times, and I can't hit the image in my head of what it's supposed to look like. I can't find an actress in my mind that is Sue Storm, but the actress that I pegged in the in the casting, which then led it kind of in, it kind of led me along to start thinking her that way, was um, she uh, she's the she's the older singer in the in the show Nashville. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've never she seen that on, show. Okay, so she was on. I remember her first Nashville. Uh, cast. Okay, so I'm not looking this up on Imdaba, by the way. Okay, her name is her name is uh, uh, Connie Britton. Okay. Oh, really? She first, that's interesting. She first came out. Yeah, she first came out in uh, City Hall or something. City Hall, Civic, City Hall or something like that with Michael J. Fox. Hmm. Anyway, it was a TV show. But you mean Spin City? Spin City. That's the one. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I said. Yeah. Just heard. So. <laughs> Anyway, she's not exactly what I imagine for Sue Storm now, mm-hmm. but at the time I could, I, you know, I would, I would, I was able to convince myself that that would work because she has a certain gravitas to her. Interesting. 
So when you start looking at the younger ones, though, I, mean, uh, I don't know, man. I just don't think that the Fantastic Four should be. They've always been the first family. They right. are the older, kind of the the elder statesmen of the superheroes in the Marvel Universe in a lot of ways. And I think an established Fantastic Four makes a stronger Fantastic Four than the origin Fantastic Four characters. I think that makes sense. And also, this could be one of the few examples where... Hollywood's penchant for flashbacks to the kid version of, oh, right. look, it's Harrison Ford Young. You know, like that would actually work in a Fantastic Four movie. Yeah. If you were yeah. to do this right again, you could have young Fantastic Four in an origin moment. Absolutely. And, and, but you start with the older ones. Yeah. Then you show the younger ones. Yeah. But uh, I think part of the reason why I have such a, a specific vision for them is uh, Epting's art mm-hmm. in that long, this long run. Epting and also. Uh, Oh, what's his name? Englisham. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They both have this really long run. I mean, one of my favorite series in modern comics, ironically, having been canceled, but one of my favorite series, along with Captain America, what they've done, Fantastic Four, captured all of the just acid dropped on acid level of FF from Marvel's heyday with this incredible art style and scripts that did not... Uh, pander, mm-hmm. and it was just—I mean, it's it just wonderful all the way through the fa- the future. Yeah, foundation, it's just like else. this this crazy cosmic Kirby esque. Well, that's the thing. Family, I, yeah, that's it's all the stuff that these movies have been missing in a lot of ways. Really, these comics from—I mean, I granted these are six, five, and six-year-old stories, but right. that run, that run of those comics. I don't—I'm reading the current the well, mm. 2013 version <laughs> that Mark Bagley's drawing, and I can't remember who's writing it, and it's nowhere near. It's just not as compelling to me. But that run, mm-hmm. I, I think the reason why I'm drawn to it is that they managed, it's that perfect thing where they managed to take the far out wackadoo mysticism of the, of the drug-fueled uh, Marvel catalog and they make and they tell it in a contemporary way that makes you buy it, right? Yeah. Like that story made Celestials look scary. It made Doom seem impressive. It made the the negative zone interesting. It made right. all of these things. It made the the concept of the Baxter building housing students that might be learning from this and you know that there's a legacy beyond just inventing stuff. But also right. that there's a dark side to that level of his O C D. Yeah, and absolutely. One of the best things I think, I mean, I, I, I grant I grant you that it's not a, ch- a kid's story, mm-hmm. but one of the coolest things I think that Marvel did in the last 10, 15 years now is come up with the concept of the Illuminati, right? Where, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, these certain heads of state have been meeting in secret to decide the fate of the world. Richards and Black Panther and Iron Man and Professor X and so on. And... And it backfires, right? They're playing right. God. And it doesn't work. They're trying to stem some sort of galactic threat, and they're trying to save us despite ourselves. And, of course, that never works, and mm-hmm. the hubris gets to them, and, the, and they fail. And that's good about that story. But that aspect of Reed Richards is so dead on. Right. I love stories that show him slip too far in his Yeah, he hubris, gets hubris lost that, in the science and the... And the, what he, he feels is best for everything, and yeah, that he feels what he does is the right thing, regardless of anything else. Yeah, I think, I think a valid criticism for futurists and for 
these types of personalities that mm-hmm. decide that they know better is that they don't question themselves. And that's right. a fundamental – to me, that's an interesting failure in Richard's personality because if he is a man of science, contemporary science is heavily rooted in the hypothesis, right? Yeah. It's entirely based on you have an idea and then you test against it and you try to disprove it. And if you can't disprove it, you validate you increase the validation of the of the idea, right? right? And that's why when you have these scandals that you only read about in science magazine, right, where you know scientists they figure out that their that their their papers were were fraudulent and that their data <laughs> was corrupted, and it's an outrage. Right? Peptides don't do that. You know, to me, I find that fascinating because for scientists to slip over from that level of this sort of pure science concept mm-hmm. to the celebrity science or to the money-making side of it like they have to fabricate the data in order to get the funding for the lab in order to do the theoretical work that they could be doing if they had the lab and the money but they never get to it because they got to make the product <laughs> that's a very interesting story to me yeah I'm, I'm one of seven people maybe that think that's it, interesting it's a fairly limited field but so why so why <laughs> can't we have an older re- how why can't we have an older fantastic four in a movie like this right where that's a concept in the story that there's right. that the father figure has a failing Absolutely. And, and remember, the mother had a feeling too, right? She's being, you know, she's being seduced by. Yeah, she's she's sea, basically sea being ignored and, by this guy that she loves and is part of her family, but he's lost in his work, and he is a little egomaniacal at the same time as the, the same people she's drawn towards with Namor and that kind of thing. That's and yeah, I I just I think that era of Fantastic Four could make a fascinating movie. I think it'd be really good. They could cast some older actors who know what they're doing and do some really interesting shit with it and instead they're like oh let's do the same thing over again and oh look it's (laughs) doom again and oh look it's the college age nonsense and yeah like i think the idea of like ben Grimm, who has come around to this whole thing that i'm a monster and i'm self-loathing but there's this tiny spark of humor that the human torch brings out in him through his ribbing and that kind of thing and the the damn yancey boys get off my street kind of thing i all of that is so integral to the fantastic four that they've just never examined in any way in live action okay so yes you're right. And there's so many stories there. There's so many concepts that they can just roll with if they don't bother with an origin and they just start them right. as adults and they just assume people are going to catch up. Mm-hmm. Audiences are smart. They can do that. I love the idea. I love that, that aspect of Sue in the, in the more modern comics that all of these sort of mega A-type characters mm-hmm. are constantly pining for her. Right. And Doom and all these people and that she's always just kind of pushing them off. I love that. I love the idea that you could have that in the movie and it's not a plot point. Right. right. Like if they were to do that now, it would be a huge thing. She's being seduced. Oh, my God. Right. So but I think it would be much more interesting if, the, you know, like the whole thing where, you know, she's, you know, you remember that whole thing where she ends up up against the all of the 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 wives of Black Bolt and she's just standing oh, her right. standing her own against everybody and I like the idea that her that her fierceness extends beyond her humanity right? yeah and there's a, there's a that's a strong maternal ideology that I right. like right right 
Um, yeah, I mentioned... just I think that that Sue Storm could be one of the most interesting characters they've ever done in these type of movies because of her personality and how she's both maternal and but still like really gorgeous and attractive and she's a sexual being as well as being a mother figure and they've never really had a character like that in a lot of ways like they kind of to a certain extent made black widow a little bit like that in the later avengers movies yeah but not to the extent that they could with a really good fantastic four movie uh, Royal's wife and Royal Tenenbaums, maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so thinking about The Thing and Ben Grimm, so Jamie Bell, I loved him in concept. I never saw Billy Elliot, but I saw clips mm-hmm. of it. But I love the idea that this guy, that they would take a small guy. So it's the underdog thing, right? Right. He's cast and everyone's outraged. How could that be? Chickless was Thing because he's burly and man, you know. And right. he's bald. I like the idea of him being cast and I liked I actually like the the character model of thing that they came up with. Really, I didn't like I think him. That they could have, I think they could have made a lot of. I think they could have improved on it a ton. But he, he looked like something from the Herculoids. <laughs> yeah, that's probably yeah, that's really true. That's very very true. I liked it a lot better than Chickless's rubber thing. I agree with yeah. that. Yeah, but um, I have two thoughts about the thing. Totally tangential. One is that in the 2013 era comics that I'm reading now mm-hmm. on Marvel Unlimited, which is a great source. Um, there's a, there's the you know what was the Future Foundation book is now called FF, and that's at this point in the story, it's the replace. Remember, I told you last time, it's the replacement Fantastic Four while the Prime FF go on right. a time space journey that's supposed to only take minutes, mm-hmm. and so they just the this classic like. Silver Age Marvel conceit that they would put some temporary people in the costume and right. say, okay, we'll be gone for two minutes, you know, and then Scott Lang and, and a few others are the are the replacement Fantastic Four. And then, and then the originals don't come back, and so now mm-hmm. they're stuck, okay? It's drawn by Mike Alred, and it's random and... Which is pretty amazing. <laughs> totally, yeah, postmodern and totally weird. The Yancey boys are constantly harassing the woman <laughs> that is playing the thing role, and she's just Johnny Storm's normal girlfriend she's like a she's like a a, a demi lovato type she's like a okay. pop pop musician right interesting that he was dating he was tasked with finding someone to fill a role fill his shoes or whatever the hell it was and he screwed off and got drunk and hooked up <laughs> and all of a sudden he had to name someone so he goes hey you you know nice you, you fill in real quick i'll be back in one minute don't worry about it and, <laughs> and so at some point she even you know, she's even in like a thing costume kind of thing, like a thing armor with like a total Alred, right? Like a gla- like right. a 50s glass dome for a head. And it's just her. That's and everyone's awesome. out. And the, so the Yancey boys are all outraged. And so you have all these thugs from the street, these teenage thugs that are constantly harassing her <laughs> and doing these like domestic terrorism type action, right? Like, just, you know. In an Alred fashion. In an Alred fashion. <laughs> all wearing like... Four color comic style uh, uh, cutout masks of the really, thing. you know what I mean? Like it's like it's cardboard and it's got the eye holes and then it's been rubber banded. That's to them. pretty amazing. Like I have one of the, of a Mike Mignola drawn Hellboy that was like some Comic Con promo that my kids have been battering <laughs> shit. 
Um, it's probably worth like 50 bucks. Anyway, the, 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 they're all wearing it. So they're all wearing and it's the exact same expression. It's like, you know, it's like things scowl. That's great. I love the whole Yancey Street thing. That's really cool. Okay, and then here's my other comment, and I'm sorry, but uh, I know it's another tangent, but um, thinking about the psychology of the thing mm -hmm. and what I was hoping that they might try, and they didn't. Okay, so we've seen story after story. The thing is f feeling sorry for himself because he's a big rock monster, and he wants to right. be loved, and he can't be loved. They even give him a blind, like a blind, perfectly patient girlfriend. Mm -hmm. and deal. What I wanted was a thing that owned it. Right. Now, I'm a guy that... I went bald at 19 or 20, right? And I and I instantly embraced it, right? Like, I, like right. I had a moment. I had that moment where I said, like, I can be obsessed about this in the way that most men, young men are. Mm -hmm. Or I can just say, you know, fuck it. This is the way it's going to be. And I did. Shave my head. There we go. Right. And never look back. Totally happy with it. So <laughs> in my mind, if I am, if I apply the concept of that, this, this larger than life character to real world psychology. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a disfigurement, whether it's a body type that's not popular, or whether it's you look different than other people or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in stories because it relates to me. I'm interested in stories to where the personality says, nope, I'm all for it. Right. And I've been with both feet. So I think a, a, I think a thing that is like, I don't want to be the human. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the secret. Like yeah, I'd be okay with that. The, you know, the whole thing about Reed is always trying to certainly cure his his mutation and and it's never working but what if the version is reed is trying to change him back assuming he wants to be human but he doesn't and want he's like, to no, no man and and there's obviously parallels to the x-men stories right there's a mm -hmm. lot of mutants that have said you know i want I don't, the cure i don't I want, want the, the cure. cure yeah so anyway i was kind of hoping that we were going to get that out of the thing this time and we didn't really it would have been a nice change instead they like None of the characters really had enough to do with who they were at all. Like, yeah, right. like they did a lot of character building, and then they had the whole them getting their powers, and then from they that the point on, they yeah, just they totally were like, the Meh, nothing else matters. We're not and even you know, going to tell stories here. And in fact, I, I'm so bored of, of of those powers and reads in particular. Mm -hmm. I didn't even need to see them. I was actually impressed that we got, you know. 110 minutes in or something and reed richards hadn't stretched yeah. i was like cool you know yeah like, i was totally okay with that stretching is the least interesting thing about reed richards <laughs> it right? really is <clears throat> like it's, like it's totally a superfluous like add-on that he uses while he's sciencing <laughs> the only thing that i've ever been in i've ever enjoyed about reed richards stretching is where he's pushed to such a limit that he's in pain. Yeah. And remember in that uh, drawing competition I was in a couple years ago where I was battle royaling those guys. And remember I had Reed Richards and, oh, no, it wasn't. It was Flatman from the Oh, Lakes. yeah. But it's yeah. the same concept. I had the guy roll him up like a newspaper and then beat someone else with him. <laughs> you know. Anyway, yeah. So the other one, the other uh, casting uh, element that I had trouble with, certainly we've, we've talked about how Doom is... I don't know. He, I, he's a non. I can't even imagine his head. I can't imagine his face. No, right no. So, it's, he just—he's a white guy with hair. That actor is in some <laughs> other movie. It's maybe it's like Warcraft or something. He's in, I, he's in Warcraft. He's in one of the Planet of the Apes movies. I genuinely don't think I could pick him up out of a lineup at all. If even I if he's, to. he's wearing like a Doom T-shirt, you wouldn't. Right, even... right, and you're, you're like, that isn't the Doom from the movie, so it's clearly not him. The other casting, <laughs> the other casting element that I had trouble with, um, and many people did, was Michael Michael Jordan as. Uh, 
I actually as, liked him. No, no, no. So here's why. I want to I, please before our 333,000 listeners cancel the podcast and get outraged and report us and all this for racism. It's not that. My problem with this guy goes back to the Parenthood TV show that my okay. wife and I used to watch. And he became a the interracial couple love interest for the daughter of the family. And it's, oh, my God, he's from across the tracks and whatever else. But here's my thing. He's got a lumpy – he's got a lumpy throat and he's got the big – he's got the big – he's got the big thing in his lower mm-hmm. lip. Like he's got an extra meat there or something like that. Uh-huh. So he always looks like he's got a load of big league chew in his lower lip. It's just <laughs> he not, does. Real, not real chew, mind you, but big league chew. Right. Like there's something about that that bothers me. Okay. <laughs> and so when he was in that show, I couldn't handle him. And then when he got cast in Fruit, Fruitvale Station, mm-hmm. which obviously regionally is a very um, – it's sort of an important film for people in the Bay Area. Okay. I appreciated his casting, and I saw some clips from the film, and I'm like, okay, okay. And when he was cast in this in this in this role, my problem was, I'm like, all I'm going to see is the the thing in his face right. that bothers me, right? Okay, not the skin. I was outraged that people were outraged about. Yeah, the, the fact color that thing is just fucking nonsense. That I'm, people even have a problem with that kind of thing. You know how I am about yeah versions of stories. Black tomatoes change, and yeah. Change black tomatoes change the gender change the ethnicity i don't give a shit it's yeah. fine i yeah. love it i love I it all no problem with that and in fact in the movie he's probably the strongest actor in the entire thing oh he's he, with the exception of like the elder characters like the dad and that kind of thing mm-hmm. he's the only one that knows how to act really <laughs> well that's right and, and but also he I have to feel like while he was acting and mm-hmm. people are like, oh, you like in the in the movie, it's a kind of fourth wall, right? In the right. movie, they're like, well, wait, you're you're a storm or whatever right. it is. And at the same time, there already had been this and he's been in interviews talking about the fact that it's hard to step on the set and know that the vast majority of the, yeah. of the audience already hates you. Right. Right. He did an amazing job as far right. as like just owning it anyway. Right? Yeah, I I really like films where they write the character without anything attached to it. There's no preconceived notion of what color they are, what race they are, what sex they are. I think that makes for a better film a lot of the I, times. I agree. And so, you know, he and, and and to his credit or camera angles, I didn't even see as much of the lumpy lower thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually thought I mean I think he's I think he's a hunky dude. I like his he has a lot of charisma on screen mm-hmm. and I really liked his uh confidence mm-hmm. and I liked his version of this character. I like the idea not just his version of of Storm, but also his version of the The human of torch. The, of no no of uh, his version of the sun or the or the child of a parent who's adopted oh, another child yeah. who turns out to be a wonderkind mm-hmm. genius. You know, I, I love the idea that he wasn't that he wasn't threatened by Sue Storm. He loved her like a he really loved her like mm-hmm. a sister, even though she was adopted, and that she was the adopted one. I yeah. mean, I, everything about that component is squandered. Yeah. By the, the failure of the film. They completely because... wasted it because it could have been really good. And the little bit you saw of it was really good. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. Their, their, t- their relationship with each other and with their father were the only believable relationship in the film. And yeah. it's the one. It... Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's the, actually the part that really. Right. You're starting to freeze up, Tom. I still have a fond, I still have a fond uh, mental image of it because I liked 
I liked how it was shot. I liked a lot of the design choices, although I think some cohesion in the costumes might have been better. Mm-hmm. They made such a point to make their costumes specific to them, like their powers or yeah. something. They made it such a point of them not being uniforms yeah. that that it was a thing. Like I was expecting them to be. They could have all been variants like X-Men, right? right. All variants of the same uh, design kit of parts and it would have been probably more successful. But just everything about the image of it looks good to me. And it's the structure and the plot and everything that happened in the film that failed to me. <laughs> right. Which so is an important part. It's a way, you know, in a way, uh, it reminds me of Elysium, okay? So, mm-hmm. I don't know if you, you saw that movie, right? Uh, no, I have not seen it. Oh, sweet. It's movie. on my list, but I haven't okay. seen it. Yeah, okay. So, I saw it with my buddy, uh, Blake, who's a scientist. By the way, he's a scientist, and I see him. I see movies with him, and it's always interesting, our approach. When we're talking about it, it's always a different story, a different conversation than maybe with other people, right? It's always <laughs> different, right? And... We came out of Elysium giddy as hell. And now, granted, we went in fueled with martinis, mm-hmm. but we came out just uh, like schoolboys, just loving what we saw. Right on. There were weaknesses, but we didn't care. We loved everything about the world building and the, the design and the acting and everything mm-hmm. else. So then we come out, and then like the next day, each of us are probably like checking on the web, and everyone's just lem- just lambasting this film. Ah, it's the worst thing ever. garbage. <laughs> and I realized that you know sometimes. You bring you bring your own interest to it, like you. Right. It can it can look a certain way and feel a certain way, and maybe this storyline, maybe there's fundamental problems with the plot. But if you but you if you've decided to buy in on the world, mm-hmm. you accept it, right? Yeah, yeah. Look at our buddy's obsession with Hudson Hawk, right? That's <laughs> the, the hottest garbage fire you can find on film. <laughs> And I totally understand why he's obsessed with that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, he, he bought into it. He likes the style. He likes the humor in it. Mm-hmm. And he's like 100% in, right? And yes. it's a garbage film. Oh, it is. Absolutely. Like but, a lot of movies. But you can't there, fault right? him for enjoying it the way he right. does. Right. So there's a part of me that likes my mental image of Fantastic Four, even though I can, I can, I can admit that it's a terrible film. And unlike a lot of films I like that other people don't like, I will admit this one actually is a really flawed film, like really <laughs> flawed. And I'm frustrated at the loss of potential. Like it could yeah. have been so good. Yeah, like um, the first you know, like 60 minutes of it, right. I'm like really happy with it. And then it just like shits the bed all over the place from there on out. Every time you say that, I see it because I have kids and I'm like, God. <laughs> so my concern is I would have been interested in seeing a sequel with that same cast going in a different direction i want no (laughs) 2000 no no okay but i want 2001 style don't even explain it Mm -hmm. rifts in space yeah i want i know that galactus and celestials and shit don't make sense i want cosmic fantastic cosmic stuff i want blastar right i want kirby crackle in this bitch kirby crackle i want these characters every time that like for example in those comics that i love when they bring these these ridiculous Kirby characters mm-hmm. and they take them seriously. Yeah. I absolutely love it. In the one that I was reading recently, they were at the, they had traveled to the end of time. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's the end of the universe, end of time or something. And they found Blastar strapped to an asteroid <laughs> with a bunch of like equipment on him. And, and then they felt they didn't know because it was he's encased in armor or something. They couldn't figure, couldn't see who he was. Right. And they felt obligated. Their moral duty was to rescue this person. And they 
they they they bring him into the ship and they unhook it everything and he busts out and it's a blaster and they're like what the hell and they realize that some future you know some future civilization has sent, sentenced him to the worst doom imaginable which is like <laughs> shoved him they left him there for all eternity he's immortal so he's been sitting there for this version of him had been there for like millions of years strapped right. to a rock at the end of the universe and now the universe was dying and he was going to die with it and then they rescued him and he busted shit up and i think you know that sort of like don't, doesn't even make sense level mm-hmm. of storytelling i want to see in these films yeah i, I, see I want the watcher and i want the i want the celestials not talking just being like yeah just looming in the background big. yeah the giant things on the heads and the glowing yeah. things you know yeah, I want all that stuff. I want, I want Annihilus. I want all of that. Well, and stuff. we live in a world where that kind of thing, and like Mole Man coming up from the ground with his little blind beast creature man, could look so amazing and oh fun God, on film. Well, look at this Adam uh, short that you need to mm-hmm. watch. They can make they can make these kinds of far out concepts look not only realistic but plot like interesting. They yeah. can they can make it compelling. The, the challenge, I think, is that they dumb it down in order to try to mainstream the story, mm-hmm. in order to sell stuff, and or, you know, whatever. Right. The Fantastic Four I want is an indie film. It's like I want a yeah. Fantastic Four that doesn't explain anything. I want the fucking Celestials to sh- hold on a second. I want them to show up and no one explains them. Absolutely. Like, oh crap, they're back. You know, like I, I don't want to have to have a soliloquy from the Mole Man about why he's in the underworld and why he's pissed. <laughs> you don't right. even know. No. You just he comes up and you're like, kill him. You know, yeah, just like, it's Mole Man again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Anyway. I know that's the level of that's like the comic movie that we really haven't gotten yet, which is the the one that appeals to the comic readers uh without any without any interest in making the mainstream understand it at all. Right. right. <clears throat> and 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 I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever get that. But yeah, that's that's the movie I want to see. I There's agree. not even an attempt to make it reasonable. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it. Fantastic Four was not that movie. <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> Sadly. So that was our that was our review for the night. What do you think about uh, moving to our planned plundering segment? You want to talk about that now that we've, you know. I think that sounds like a good plan. Wipe the wipe the celestial floor with Fantastic Four, <laughs> as they say. But we were not as harsh on it as other people were either. To be fair, you're right, and I think almost maybe I was nicer to it than BVS, possibly. Not you sure. know, there's there's aspects of it that I liked more because uh, there still wasn't really any humor in this film for the most part. That's true. But it had. Uh, it was just a little more lighthearted, I guess, is what it was. It was a funner movie. There was science fiction farce in the, in yeah. the science fair. Yeah, you know? it just didn't get as far as it needed to. Right. Yeah. I still say, I know you, you, you laughed, but I mean, I still would take the cast and give them a savvy director and give mm-hmm. us a fast forward five years and it's just crazy. I'd be okay with that, but I'd also be okay with them recasting every single person in this Understood. if they needed to. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so, plan plundering. This is the segment where we talk about what we're looking forward to. Stuff we're reading, stuff we're watching, stuff we want to read or watch. Yeah. In your case, stuff you imagine reading or watching. Yeah, yeah. theoretically, someday. I so, am... Um, <laughs> 
Yes, I actually do have a few things I'm kind of excited about. Not that I'm super excited. Well, obviously, I want to see Ghostbusters because it's coming out soon and excitement. I'm also really excited about Stranger Things on Netflix. That looks amazing. Um, I am two episodes away from finishing the second season of True Detective. Mm. And you're right. I'm starting to come around it. I'm starting to come around. It definitely does have a nice noir, pulpy feel to it. And it's... I think it's one of those that I'll actually appreciate more on a second viewing. So here's my thing. I want you... So, okay, you watch that. And I will commit right now to rewatching that second season... Mm-hmm. And then we talk about it. So that would probably be 2019 or something, okay. but we will do it. I wouldn't mind watching it a second time before we talk about it because yeah. I think it's a season that benefits from a second viewing. I think if you take it away from the <coughs> – excuse me. I think if you take it away from the the burden of expectation from season one and right. the style of season one because it's not just this – it's not just like season one was so meticulously crafted that it was this work of art. It's also that there was a style to it. There was this whole deep bayou mysticism thing going right. on. Right. And then we rolled into that wanting full tilt Lovecraft and we didn't get it. Yeah. Right? So <coughs> we got a scary mask in the back behind the Buick <laughs> steering wheel, right? <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed a lot of season two just as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I think you're right. Second viewing will really enhance it, and I would love to talk about it because I think there's a hell of a lot that was very positive in that season that people have just washed under the carpet because their friend Frank washed under the carpet. Right. right. It's cool not to like to, – to basically you know kill your darling. Well, and I have, well, I have issues with some of the, the crew in this particular season too, and so I had a hard time getting around that. And okay. now that I'm around that, I think I'll have an easier time getting into it too. Because, like, I have no feelings about Taylor Kish outside of the fact that he was in a Twilight movie. I like, like, and I think he's a terrible me. choice for Gambit. You're kidding me. Well, he's not in Gambit. So <laughs> he was originally trying to get to the Gambit. He would have role. been a good Gambit, actually. He would have been the interesting. Best, the best Gambit would have been the guy that was in the first season of. True Blood. Well, he played Gambit in uh, Wolverine Origins. Did he? Yeah, yeah. He's no. the one that played Remy with the the, the little scene with the Who the was? Uh, Taylor Kish. Okay, but the guy in. Okay, hold on. The guy that was in I'm not looking up Imdaba, but in True Blood, mm-hmm. there was a guy. Oh, I know who you're talking playing, about. Yeah, he was playing. He was playing occasion. He had a occasion he's accent. A, he's in Terriers too. Is he? Yeah, he's so, so good in Terriers. Have you ever seen Terriers? Nay. Oh my god, but you I have like to watch but, it, man. So Donald Logue is another guy that whose face bothered me, but the way he talks and something meaty about his mouth always drove me nuts. And then when they cast him as Bullock in Gotham, I was like instantly like, I don't care, just let him read the phone book. You know, right, I mean? right. Yeah, you okay. have to watch Terriers if you can track it down because I, I you're talking about Michael Raymond James, I think Michael, is who you're referring to. Michael. Raymond, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So I'm not looking this up on Imdaba at all. <laughs> Michael Raymond James. Okay, here we go. That's the guy. So him, his, so his Cajun accent was pretty convincing to mm-hmm. me. I, I heard some people say that it was terrible, but I don't know. I've I never liked been him. Louisiana. So that guy. Yeah. That guy, a sweet, sweet guy. Yeah, I would have watched him as Gambit over and over. I would have been 100% happy with that. 
Okay, so Taylor Kitsch, you said that you only saw him in a in a in a Twilight or okay, something. Okay, I apparently was completely incorrect on that because I didn't realize that he was also John Carter, which I haven't yes. seen, but oh, oh. I've heard it's good. I've heard it's enjoyable. Chris, have I not ranted on the forum enough about John Carter of Mars? As soon as I see you say anything about John Carter, I stop reading and go to the listen, next story. Listen, you need to watch the movie, <laughs> and we need to do. We're going to dedicate a future episode entirely to me rationalizing why John Carter of Mars was tragically, tragically ruined by Disney marketing because I love that movie. I've heard I've it. I've heard it's enjoyable. Does <laughs> it have there, Willem Dafoe in it? He might have been a, a Badoon or whatever they are, the the aliens, but I, I, or the Mar- Martians. But it's got a great cast, if I remember right. It's got uh, Siren Hines in it, and Cranston's got a role in it in some capacity. It's funny. I said that there are aliens, but in fact, the humans would be aliens in that movie. That is true, technically. See, it's it blows your mind, man. You don't <laughs> even it's so uh, weird that the guy that directed that's the guy that directed like, God, didn't he do Nemo and some huh. Pixar stuff? Did he really? Oh, yeah, 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 I think right, so. Right. Yeah, this was a big disaster for Disney because they thought it was just this perfect. Well, Disney screwed it up. We need to talk about this at length. Um, <laughs> let me just leave you with this. Willem Dafoe was one of the one of the Martians, but okay. Let me leave you this: Lynn Collins, who is like an actress that just came and went. You don't know where she came from. She plays Deja Thoris, right? In a way that the the all of our versions of Wonder Woman are begging to be this mm-hmm. character. Xena Warrior Princess begs to be this character. They took a character that was we have. 75, 80 years of people drawing her in bikinis with jewels, you know, in a pinup way. And, oh, you know, she's cute. She's a Martian princess. Mm -hmm. And they turned her into like a Native American badass. Badass, right. Yeah, she played Silver Fox in the the same X-Men origin movie that he played Remy LeBeau, actually. And I liked her as Silver Fox a lot. I've heard that movie is... Is such a hot oh, mess. It's, it's I'm a so scared. Fire! It's terrible. But it's <laughs> <I'm> watchable. So, <laughs> I, have it, I have it in my junk a junk file, but I haven't gotten to it. It's so bad, but <laughs> so so your plan plundering. Yes. Is, so it's what now? Well, I have to finish the last two episodes, which the last yeah. episode's like like 90 minutes long or something like that. It's not a short episode. So I've been kind of waiting to dedicate a time that I can like just sit down with some popcorn and watch the show because yeah, right. I've watched too much of the season while I was doing other things. Oh yeah. And, matter. and for this particular show, I, I think it, it hurts it quite a bit. So. I, agree. I can't do it, man. I cannot watch my buddy's a tattoo artist and he, watches movies or he plays movies while he's I, while he's at home working on the big pieces that he has to sketch up before meeting clients, right? Not, not in the studio, but like at home. And so he'll put the movie on, he's listening to it, looks up at it, keeps working. And he always references that to me, and I cannot do that. I cannot put a movie on, even a movie that I love that I've seen a thousand mm-hmm. times. I can't put that on and then draw. I have to look at it, right? See, I, can I only have the biggest problem with watching a movie and not doing something. I I have so much on my plate, and my, my to-do list is just constantly getting longer and longer that I can't... I have a genuinely difficult time justifying two hours to sit down and do nothing, let alone an eight-episode, hour-long season, like True Detective kind of thing. Chris, this is a thing. This is a thing right here, because we're... We're coming at two different 
two different angles on the same problem, right? Mm-hmm. Scarcity of time. Um, so, yeah, I get frustrated. I have this laundry list of, obviously, as you know, I have you know, several hundreds of thousands of hours of content that I haven't watched. That I'm supposed right. to watch. How could I not have watched that? But it's all because I want to spend my – I want to focus on it. Right. And I don't have time. And I always – and I know you're the same way. Every time I sit down to like – for example, I think about the PlayStation or I think about watching a thing, I think I could be drawing. Right. How can I do that when I could be drawing? Right. And so I end up gravitating towards things that my wife might throw on that I can draw to and look up at or thought, draw to and listen to, sitcoms and things that – or you know, sort of more feel-goody stuff mm-hmm. that she likes. I, I'm inf- I'm intimately familiar with the just the can of smashed assholes that's once upon a time <laughs> on ABC because my my wife got hooked on that show and I draw to it so I know right. everybody on it and what they're doing and what the actors are and everything else and I think it's horrible and and I don't I don't even care because it's a show that I can draw to but the, yeah. those kinds of shows are few for me because if I get interested in it, I want to spend and certainly with movies I want to just turn off the lights pour a drink and just be fully engaged right mm-hmm. and that's a real problem like you said you're, you're saying you, you have trouble allowing yourself to to engage that way well especially on a and, series right? and and part of my problem there too is that it's one of those things where i like to have something on while i'm doing things so i choose movies that aren't at all taxing to me at all sure. it's 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 one of those things where you know i can throw on Kid like plays house party Kill too. Bill or whatever while I'm doing things. And I it, there are movies that I've sat and I've enjoyed and I've absorbed, or there are movies where I don't feel like that's necessary. Like those grab bags of terrible horror movies that I own. It's like, sure. oh, look at Blood Lake while I'm doing this. You don't have to watch and like absorb that type of movie. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's interesting though. At, at one point, this was during the mini disc era. I had mini discs. I was I was transitioning from cassettes to digital mini disc before I went all digital for things. Okay, so I had the. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Do you right. know mini disc? Do you yes. ever been with those? Okay, so at some point I converted five or six of my favorite movies, Coen Brothers types films, to mini disc, and I would play them in the car. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I loved, and I still do on occasion, not as often, but I I loved listening to the movie that I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that I'd seen a thousand times. I could drive to it. I could do things to it. And by the same token, I could play the recording of the movie and I could draw. Mm-hmm. But what I can't do is play the movie on screen and draw because mm-hmm. I can't, I can't stop looking at the screen. Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it's funny too, for me, I can't draw while I'm listening to podcasts. I, I've heard a lot of people do that kind of thing, and I've tried to a couple of times. And like I can do other stuff while I listen to podcasts. Like I love to cook while I do podcasts or when I'm cutting and routing wood for key hooks, that kind of thing. But if I'm drawing, I, it has to be music or it has to be a movie playing in the background. And I do think that there is a certain point with the movies where I'm not paying attention to the screen at all. And I think that might be the same thing that you hit with it, where it's there because of the soundtrack and the kind of the feelings it evokes without actually having to watch it kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you know it so well. Yeah. You're just narrating the, the dialogue to yourself. You know, although uh, I was thinking about podcasts just now and while you were talking about it, and I love to drive to podcasts and I love to ride. I ride to, bo- yeah. to podcasts on my commute. I love that. But what I found, the real cognitive disconnect is, you know, in, in the Bay Area, we have lots of 
we have these areas where we'll have tons of traffic and you'll be sitting at a traffic light for like six minutes. Right. Right. And so I'll pull up and I'll be at the light. And, like, and so I'll pull the phone and I'm listening to the podcast and I might pull the phone to check messages or I might look at Facebook or something. Mm-hmm. And instantly I have this real frustration because I'd missed something that they said. Right. Right. And the, the iTunes interface or a podcast make it very hard to go backwards. Yeah. If you get to the right screen, you get this rewind 30 seconds thing, which is great. <laughs> right. But you have to get there, right? And so I'll be listening to the podcast and then I'll check really quickly or like I'll get the text come in and I look at it mm-hmm. and I lost the thread, right? And it's not terribly different than listening to radio like NPR and my kids are like, and then I turn and then I, and, and then I realize I missed something and I'm like, I'm fumbling with my hand at the console in my car like, there's some sort of like, you know, rewind mm-hmm. on the radio, right? Because I'm so accustomed to streaming and and uh, digital media that you can that you can control that. Mm-hmm. It drives me nuts about live radio that I can't go back and right. And so now right. I found NPR, you know, posts all their crap, and you can go back <laughs> to the website and listen to all their stuff and whatever. But I don't do it anyway. Interesting. Anyway, okay. So plan plundering. So yeah, the, the other thing that I'm I'm actually interested in diving into is kind of the same thing, um, and that's uh, the a show on HBO called The Night of. Oh yes, which I think looks really interesting. I wondered if you were going to watch that, man. I got to tell yeah, you, yeah, I've I've heard, seen a couple of things that are like this is kind of the unofficial True Detective season three kind of thing. Oh really? Yeah. So I love John Turturro. I, I love too. him, and you know what? Going back, you know he. So, of course, I really loved him in Miller's Crossing, one of my favorite films mm-hmm. ever. But the first time he made an impact on me was To Live and Die in L.A., a okay. Frankenheimer film. Do you know that film? I, I've seen it, but it was a really long time ago. Go back and rewatch that one. We'll do another whole episode on it. <laughs> I would easily talk for 19 hours on that movie. Okay, so what do you want to hear? And our, and our listeners would Who want doesn't? To yes. Oh, of course. So John Turturro in that film is not the sympathetic sort of simpering character that you see him often play. I mean, he's, he's a very nervous and, and justifiably so anxious felon, right? Because he's right. in a really difficult position. Anyway, when I see those previews for In the Night Of, I see the Turturro that I really love, where he's not he's not being played for gags. He's not no. a, a minor character or a weak character. He's, he's an opinionated and powerful presence in mm-hmm. that in so far of what we've seen in those previews so yeah I'm super that yeah yeah he looks really earnest and interesting and the story looks pretty interesting and so i'm i'm that's definitely on my list of things i want to pick up there's an interesting phenomenon with parents certain parents anyway certainly my wife especially and me to some degree it sounds really obvious but you have kids and you instantly it, it changes the color of watching movies or shows that are about death and mm-hmm. murder and rape and things because you you cannot help but imagine your children are the victims right, right. so there's a thing that happens when you become a parent and i suppose pet cemetery would be like that for you okay so <laughs> uh <laughs> so 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 i we stopped watching a lot of the we were watching serials like uh, law and order law and order was our our bread and butter before mm-hmm. we had kids and then and we never really watched Special Victims Unit because it was just too on the nose. But, you know, anyway, even so, we watched Criminal Minds and, and other shows that were pretty bad. And then we had kids and my wife just could not deal. After mm-hmm. the, the hormones change your mind, they change your brain chemistry. She could not handle 
someone's kids are being murdered in a show and this is entertainment. She just could not deal. Hmm. And even today, I can't get her to watch um, you know, dramas that have hardship happening to the characters that could involve that kind of thing. I mean, she just does. We have no time. We're not sleeping. We have no free time. She does not want to spend the few minutes she has in her day. Right. On something right. that is emotionally, emotionally um, taxing. Yeah. Taxing. Right. And so there's a lot of these kinds of shows that I have not watched simply because it doesn't fit into our current life. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those movies. This, this show here is one of those ones where it's in my bank for after she goes to sleep because it looks right. really interesting. And my wife will never watch that, movie, <laughs> that show. Understandably. Um, uh, so, okay. So that's your. Yeah, those, your... those are my planned O plunders. And you were going to camp at some point, right? You were going to go camping? Yeah, that might still happen. We don't know yet. Do, you, do both of you like camping or just you? No, we love camping. It's just really? we've just been so busy. And, yeah, we've got that little that 13-foot scamp that we yeah. own that's a little Helps. fiberglass <laughs> trailer. And we yeah. just hitch that up. And there's a campsite. Uh, it's like 23 minutes out of town. And you're completely removed from town. You're up a mountain. Um, it's like 10 bucks a night. And you pull in light a fire smoke some marshmallows and yeah i mean it's just it's great because it's it's far enough out of town that theoretically you could still get cell service if you wanted to but we just turn (laughs) our phones off and pretend like you can't um and you know we we play board games and read books and that roast weenies that kind of thing i i like it because it's one of the few times that i go somewhere that i don't feel guilty for not working on shop stuff because i can't draw while i'm dealing with soot and dirt and smoke and stuff so well, that's interesting yeah interesting you said that because my my best getaways which were you know tropical beach mm-hmm. and 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 camping have inv- I brought my sketchbook and I was able to get a lot done. See, and I, I can do fun sketching and stuff when I'm up doing that kind of thing. You're not going to do production, though. right? Right. I'm not. But you making could do the seeds of that. Right? You could do the starters, like the pencil, the and fun stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's interesting. My wife is well. You've you, you've met her. I mean, she's she's wonderful, and she. But, but I mean, she will freely admit that she's a little bit. On the OCE side, you of, guys have a pretty right? white rug and children. <laughs> that shows you what kind of. <laughs> Did you say? Maybe I heard you wrong. Did you just say we had pretty white rug and children? Did you say that? You have a pretty white rug and children. That okay. shows. That white shows your level for expectation. Yes, you have pretty white children <laughs> and a rug that is also pretty and white. Control that. So. Anyway, she's she is not having anything about camping. She just. Well, uh, she just not. She she. She looks at this limited amount of free time she has, and she says, "You want me to go into the wilderness <laughs> and be covered with bugs and whatever?" And no, not going to do it. You need so, to come up to Idaho and go camping with us, Tom. Tell you what, I will. But so, so I commit. I see. What is that, Ursa over there? Probably behind the other side. Yeah, yeah, that's Ursa. Hi, Ursa. The entire time that I was talking about my wife's inability to accept animals or like bugaboos on her, <laughs> Ursa has been flicking. Like lice onto you. <laughs> oh, nice. So anyway, I, lo- I love camping. Okay. And my daughter really got into it. And so we did so- uh, like side yard camping last year for the first time. Mm-hmm. I borrowed a tent and we camped out in the side yard and listened to the deer that would eat nice. stuff outside of our tent. And we listened. To- we went and looked at the raccoon that was there. And my my daughter was loving it. My son wanted to, but he was too young. Right. My wife has no interest. So... <laughs> 
what I'm gonna what I'm up against is what I'm basically gonna be doing is taking the kids and going camping by myself, which is which is fine. Yeah. But I really want to do it because I think more than ever, if you think about my kids' age, more than ever the value of unplugging and going out and just hearing crickets and absolutely. We're here in Marin County now. We're not in San Francisco. We have crickets. We have nature. We have Mm -hmm. trees and everything else. But I want one step further. I want them to be in the tent with the blanket and the books and the stuffed animals and just be like, well, that's it. Yeah. And we're going to go throw rocks in the the creek and we're going to make a fire and we're going to just tell stories and talk. I think it's an important part of growing up in a lot of ways. I think uh, particularly going camping with my family and the the Boy Scouts when we would do our camping trips. uh, It's it, it particularly not having a father figure growing up like I did. Um, it it helps you learn things about what you can and can't do, and what sure. you are and are not afraid of, and like you know, just even just going on a hike and looking at the different types of trees and talking to them about insects and kind of the circle of life and that kind of thing. I think you learn more about that type of stuff out in the wild than you do just on a nature walk in town. I will say one of the things I really love about the education my kids are getting here, my daughter in particular, uh, and and maybe they're getting it in San Francisco and urban, urban centers. I don't know, but here, because we are in, in, in the Bay area, we are the closest to nature, right? We're like Mm -hmm. in the redwoods, right? We're so, my daughter's education as a first grader going into second grade is heavily influenced in the natural world, right? Nice. So, so when I start talking about you know explaining things in our in our environment, like describing why things are the way they are, I love when she tells me, "Dad, I know this." Mm-hmm. Like uh, yesterday, we were talking about uh, continents. We were talking about I don't know how we came about talking about continents, but oh, I thought you I said continents. <laughs> it'll be different, different story, also applicable. So I, I was talking about the fact that the, te- the, the continents at one point were one landmass and mm-hmm. that seismic activity broke. She's like, yeah, Dad, earthquakes. I got it. I'm like, <laughs> it's called tectonic, tectonic shift. And she goes, I know. <laughs> That's I'm amazing. Like, wow. First graders are being taught about you know, That's great. the continents splitting apart. I mean, I love the fact that my daughter is getting an education out here, which is heavily influenced in natural science. So she's understanding – She's constantly lecturing my younger son about mother. Don't break the tree. It's mother nature. How dare you? You know, and it's like, you know, and I'm squashing an ant over here. Like, shut up. Right. And also, you know, I love that she's obsessed with understanding how the world is right mm-hmm. beyond the built environment. We're so we're constantly being told that our kids are glued to YouTube and they don't care. And they're just sitting in the living room watching the, their TV shows and they don't, and they have no uh, relationship with the real world. Right. And my kids are, you know, they love that stuff. <laughs> then they go outside and play and they start building sculptures out of leaves and rocks and making rock collections and climbing trees and these things that I did some of when I was a kid, but in mm-hmm. LA, I didn't have that much access to that much nature, right? right. So I love that they're getting that no, that's background great. In, in their studies and, and I want to do that with the camping. And the nice thing we have is we have a couple of different places where you can camp that I can get to by bike, so I can use my cargo bike, oh, nice. and I can put all the like the tent and the stuff in the in the panniers, put the kids on the back of the bike, and we can camp by bike. So zero carbon camping weekend. That's great. Sounds amazing to me. Yeah, right? yeah. 
with cell service if we need it. <laughs> Within but two you miles don't of a... need to have it either. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so plain plundering. So what do I have? So last week, I've started thinking about last week versus this week, right? Mm-hmm. To see if we made any progress. Last week, I said Powers and Preacher. And uh, what I have done is watch pre- Preacher, and I've watched... I don't know, four episodes or so. And, and it goes back to what we talked about. I cannot, I would not draw to preacher. Okay. Right. So what I do is I, my wife is watching something else and I'm drawing. I try to get something done. She goes to sleep and I put on the earphones. I hit the lights, pour the drink. And I just full attention on the show. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, Chris, just, you got to find the time because it's great. <laughs> I've I've heard very good things about it. I need it's to great. Yeah, I need to track it down and well, I need to watch it is what I should say. Also, you need to watch the entirety of the Misfits series on BBC to understand how Joseph Gilgan is so amazing, which then you understand why he's doing so great in this as Cassidy. But as far as being a lover of the original material and then looking at this translation of it and seeing the changes they've made and the, the choices that they've made, I think it's great. I think yeah. they've done an amazing job so far. So so my uh, plundering for this week is I'm going to watch a hell of a lot more of Preacher. Also, um, BVS Ultimate Edition, I'm going to watch that this weekend. Right on. And see if the expanded material as advertised by friends does improve on some of those plot points that we had problems with. I am curious about the the result of that, yeah. I'm I'm optimistic. I think that they're going to pull it off. From what he's told me and what he posted on our forum, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the storylines that we were struggling with and the abruptness of things is fleshed out in the new, in this version that makes them make more sense. Such as... He, he describes in detail that's, that the whole thing about luring Superman into the desert to rescue the hostages is much, much more obviously orchestrated in the expanded edition. That's cool. It's very clearly shown. Because that, that was ridiculously stupid. Yeah. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so those are my two. Right on. Maybe some black tomatoes as well. I don't know. <laughs> They're tasty. <laughs> my garden has just, it's like someone. It looks like someone sprayed acid on it. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it was, today it was 100 degrees. Uh, I cannot keep these things alive. Yeah. And, and then I picked the kale, I, I trimmed a bunch of kale and I tried to make a salad last night and I put them on the counter before I could rinse them and then I picked them up and there was all this like dandruff on the counter and my wife was like, nope. <laughs> talking about? Look closely and it's like a thousand aphids, like oh, little tiny man. little beige aphids. And I was like, man. You I mean, need to buy next year. When you're starting up your garden, as yes. you do, you need to get onto the internets and buy ladybugs and praying mantis eggs. Dude, eggs. I'm so down because I love those. Those are two of my favorite insects. Yes. And it's so awesome, dude, because you get to place the egg sacs in places, and then they hatch, and there's little baby ladybugs and praying mantis all over the place, and it's it's fantastic, dude, It's and it's well worth it. It's also super cool because you have kids, so they get to see it, and yep. make sure you put them somewhere and train them not to poke the sacs and that kind of <laughs> thing, but yeah, dude, do that. <laughs> that will make a huge difference in terms of insects and that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, I've tried the non-tox, the non-toxic solutions. I'm spraying these enzymes all over the place, but and I and I've been looking at those kale, and I and I did not see 
anything on them and I thought they were fine. And these are these very tiny, mm-hmm. almost translucent aphids. And I, just as an exercise, I washed and soaked and rinsed and washed and soaked and rinsed six rounds of cleaning the kale. And I still had water filled with aphids. Ugh. So, yeah, it's been a tough time. You, you know, know the, actually, the, the easy answer there is just to not eat kale. Yeah, I happen to like kale, man. Got a little bit of lemon and some red onion in there. Mm. So also, uh, praying mantises, we don't have a lot of them here. Mm-hmm. But when we first moved here about two months in, I found, just, I looked down on the ground in front of my house, and I like I grabbed a stick, and I and I checked it, and it grabbed it. <laughs> Took the <laughs> stick away from me. It was a brown praying mantis. Like That's a full, awesome. A full adult praying mantis was sitting on my driveway. I'm like, where the hell did you come from? <laughs> And then my neighbor found a little baby on the side of his house, so maybe they're a lot more prevalent than we thought. But um, I love those insects. Yeah, they're great, and they're they're so good for pest control. It's ridiculous. Like they'll eat all of the bugs that you don't want in your area. They'll eat all the big ones, and then the, the ladybugs will eat all the little mantids and stuff, or all the little aphids and everything. <laughs> That's and <so> you're good <laughs> to go, man. <laughs> Let me tell you a quick story about uh, male or insects. I have this memory so we had an ant farm right remember those mm-hmm. and uh, my father decided he he would order the the bigger ants okay which turned out to be red ants oh no and uh, not the because today i see in my backyard i have these big ants species not the little european the german ants that we get in the house but like the <laughs> right. really big ones right anyway my dad ordered in the mail and he got this tube of it's like a tube of ants <laughs> and so he I remember this vividly. Okay, I wish I had. This is before the era of recording these kinds of things. Right. So I saw. I remember him reaching down into the ant farm, and then he opens the lid, and he did not follow the directions and <laughs> keep it in the fridge, in the fridge or the freezer or right. some shit. So it was like room temperature. So they're very aware of what's going on. Yeah. It's the lid, and they swarm over his arm and up his arm. And oh God. And the red ants, and they bite the hell out. <laughs> And he goes, Bleh! and he throws, the, 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 you know, he like lurches and and he throws the, this little tube, this beaker across the <laughs> living room and lands behind the couch or on the couch. It's like, Bleh! and he's like running around and he's got the instantly he's got the Tetsuo arm, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Just 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 puffed up and he's being bitten hundreds of times by red ants. Right. <laughs> right. And he's, as he's flailing and smashing around, he's, he's just spreading them around the house. Right. That's and, amazing. Uh, and so we had to have like an, uh, an exterminator come in and <laughs> blast the house with chemicals that probably explain why I am the way I am today. And, <laughs> and you know, that's and why just, Tom lost his hair. That's right. And so <laughs> then I think about, and I think about the whole idea that, I'm just from from what I understand about these kinds of things. I'm pretty sure there was instructions like keep this in the in the fridge the whole time, right? So they're stunned when you open the thing. <laughs> he, like, he opened it up; it's like right up to his neck. Oh, know? that's just, great! It's just the best part was it's like every movie where they throw the thing that's on fire into the corner, <laughs> right? You know, through the beaker <laughs> and the couch, right? So the couch is like red with ants, and they're like replicating, right? Like it seems like this beaker had like ten thousand of these. Red ants, in. but anyway. So uh, here's a lesson: don't don't buy red ants on the internet, and don't open them. <laughs> and follow the instructions. Follow the damn instructions, right? <laughs> in the '80s, they didn't have instructions. That's my. That's probably actually, true. It was late '70s, I think, at that point. <laughs> okay, yes. so not not that's not on my plan plundering list. But. <laughs> so excellent. 
I don't know, man. So I guess uh, I guess we pretty much hit. Um, have you gone all the way down in our script, by the way? I just did, actually. <laughs> Hello. I, I appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> this ongoing thing for some reason where we're just we're just sort of mazel tov cocktailing each other with Emma Stone and yeah, everybody. Yeah, anyway, we're going to okay, run so, out of Emma Stone eventually and we'll have no, to we're move not, on. But. No, we're not. No, you're <laughs> wrong. Anyway. Do you have any blaming the sea? Do you have any rants you head about? Not that I haven't already ranted about. That's right. Yeah. I feel, I feel pretty much the same way. Uh, you know, it, either either we can fix it or we can't. Yeah. We so I feel like we've pretty much covered everything we wanted to talk about. This has been Robot Kraken. Yeah. To you by your friends, Tom and Chris. I think it's time to unrelease the Kraken or however that works. we got to lure it back into the yes. thing. Yeah, we, we got to sprinkle the, the Kraken flakes into the sea and... <laughs> Let it, let it just come bacon. back it, in. Bacon. Sprinkle some bacon in. <laughs> some bacon bits. Yeah. What are we going to talk about next time, do you think? I don't know. I think we, we still have some, some art technique to cover that we wanted to discuss that it's gotten too late to talk about now. And so uh, maybe Ghostbusters if, we've, yeah. we, if we make it to it. Ghostbusters. So do you think that uh, uh, Nice Guys is going to... Uh, you know what's funny is it's just literally just typing that in. As you asked that, um, Nice Guys comes out on Blu-ray May February 2017. What? What? Did you say February somewhere? No. Oh, you just made that up. No, it's 2017. Oh, okay. Let me see. I am not seeing a release date anywhere listed yeah. on this. Yeah, that's probably the case. But so that's one we're gonna definitely have to talk about. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we have no plan for the next You're time. right. Except it's going to be sweet as. That's all I can say. Yes, that's all we right. know. So I'll let, you, uh, I'll let you go and get your rest for your onslaught of silk production and bottle production. Yeah, it's going to be a long day tomorrow. But production. And uh, I'll try to get some sleep as well. So Sounds thank good. You. Thank have, you for listening. Have a good night, everyone. If you, if you enjoy the show... You can contact us through the links that are in the thing. And then also you should tell your friends to subscribe on iTunes. Yes. Do the thing where you, you say five stars. It's amazing. It's the best thing that's ever been. And, uh, you know, possibly they'll publish that for you. <laughs> we'll get more. 333 and one new listener. Yes. We're always good with that. All right. Cool. Have Thank a good you. night, everybody. See ya.